Okay. Hit me with your cold open. So I was driving home today from the library, and this will not be the last library story I tell in this recording session. Absolutely not. But my car was at 69.9 miles for this trip, which is nice. nice. And it got me thinking, you know how like our parents' generation was really obsessed with their 40th birthday because it yeah. was like the over-the-hill thing, and they're kind of obsessed with their 50th birthday because they're like officially old. Our generation just gonna be obsessed with their 69th birthday. <laughs> Bro, put me put me in the grave at 69 just for the tombstone says nice. Nice. You know we're all just gonna be throwing into their parties, and nice. the whole decor is gonna be like vaguely reminiscent of the office. It is your birthday, but it's just gonna say nice <laughs> everywhere. I, I just see a streamer like the ones that say happy birthday and it just says nice. Nice. <laughs> the cake just says nice. 69. Nice. <laughs> Although people who are born on June 9th. But, I mean, they, they could have celebrate the, this. They have the superior birthday. Right. Also, whoever was born on June 9th, 1969, Man. you really have the superior birthday. I mean, you're probably a god at this point. You were probably hand-selected to be like a Hercules on the earth. If that is you, please let us know. We would love to interview you Yes. just about that. Very um, true. Also, anyone who was born on 420... I was almost born on 420. 2020. Oh, uh, 420, 2020. Yeah, come talk to us in 20 years. We will love. To, we will interview you if this is still going. For our 2000 episode. I hope we're still going at 2000 episodes. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be neat. We'll see. Um. I mean, we've been, what, this is like our 35th or something like that? I think so. We just hit 30 yeah. back in the fall. Mia, you were very close to this I mean, microphone. We'll see. We'll see if we'll be around. Mia, do you have something to say? Do you, is that her tail whip weapon on the... Tail. Mia, stop making out with Leah. Mia, stop. Mia, Mia, you can't just... You can't just attack people with your love. This is not, this is not how it works, Mia. Oh my gosh, Mia. Mia. Really, though. Oh. Mia's obsessed with making out with me and we don't know why. She does this to a lot of people though. Like really close people who come to my house a lot, which is like Leah. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably me and Josh that are here the most and then you're like then third. Me. You're the third <laughs> housemate here. Just hanging her. out in the dark living yeah. room. <laughs> I really, so Leah and I were at that point in our friendship where it's just I'm like come over at any time. I'm cooking food. Just show up. And so she'll come home sometimes before I get out of work because she gets out earlier and she'll just walk into my house, which is absolutely fine. And but today I opened the door and all the lights were off except for like this one little top one. <laughs> and she's just standing there in my kitchen. I'm just like, the fuck you doing? In my defense, I was petting Mia, but Mia heard Beth Ann's car and just bolted. Oh, yeah. She's more important than me, obviously. Well, she's my girl. What can I say? She's obsessed with my backpack right now because it smells like kittens. Oh, I'm sure. She's licking it. Anyway, uh, welcome to the podcast. I'm Leah. I'm Bethann. And this is She Will Rock You. Where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. <laughs> Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, hold up, before I haul you, let me turn down the thermostat. <laughs> this is bad. We're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is She Will Rock You. It's 2021. It's 2021. Here it's, we are. 
We are six days into the year, and it's it's been a wild ride already. You can look up what happened on January 6th from this podcast. But for the next two or so hours, we're just going to record and maybe go live on Instagram and just forget about the world. Because we're drinking wine. We ate some pasta. I'm pretty sure I've drank half a bottle myself, so this should yeah. be a fun episode. This is going to be great. Well, anyway, it's 2021, and to make up for a shitty year last year... We're hitting the ground running this yes, year. Yes, we are, and we're going to be talking about Fleetwood Mac. Hell yeah. So, we actually have two heavy hitters this month, and as excited I am to talk about my artists, Leah, I'm actually beyond excited to hear about your artist next episode. I am next very episode. excited to present my artist. Stay tuned, guys. Yes, a little teaser. She is... I would argue another patron saint of our podcast. I would like to nominate her she, into our yes. patron saintdom. She's also our first ever rule breaker. That's true. Well, so. Bing was kind of no, maybe. Yeah. We'll counter. She's our we'll, first ever we'll rule counter. breaker. She deserves that. Honor. She deserves it. Anyway, I'm bless you. Bless you, Rudy. Anyway, I'm looking to start 2021 off right. Talk about Fleetwood Mac. For those who are new to the podcast, um, because we did experience quite a bit of growth, Leah. Yes. Hello, our UK listeners. Hello, UK. Hello, Italy. We saw like 100% yeah. growth in Italy last year. Hi. I was looking at the stats yesterday. We have listeners in Dubai. Yeah. I don't know how you found us, but please hang out. We like you. I'll tell you what. If we get a thousand listeners in Italy, I will legally change my name back. Well, I'll probably do a hyphenated thing to Chaccio Tarpley. There you go. Just to roll it off the tongue and to confuse the fuck out of some people. There you go. You heard Beth it Ann here. Bethann Chaccio Tarpley. If you're an Italian listener, please recruit your friends. Thank yes. you. All right. So where did I leave off? You can tell I'm drunk because my sound waves are actually as big as you. <laughs> <laughs> you no, I will say there is quite a considerable difference. I am loud today. Hello. <laughs> Hi. How's it going? Um, but in our baby pre-episode... Which we recorded all the way back, episode way zero. back, where we recorded after our cover art, yes, was shot at our friend Lauren's loft apartment. Hi, Lauren. I miss you. We, I love you. We love you, Lauren. <laughs> I reminisce that we were starting this podcast because the same friend Lauren did not know who Fleetwood Mac was, and Leah and I, being the good friends we are. Flip the fuck out on her and still give her <laughs> shit to this day. And then we knew, we knew it was time to educate the children. Yes. Our sweet, sweet children who don't know the difference between a Fleetwood Mac and a Big Mac. That's a good joke. <laughs> I wrote, I wrote directly under that. This is probably strictly American humor. I apologize to our international listeners that we just came. <laughs> anyway. So I'll warn you now, this is also a flyby of Fleetwood Mac, meaning I could not possibly condense over 50 years of history. And I said over 50 in a one hour podcast episode. Um, so if you want to learn more, please go to Google, type in Fleetwood Mac, hit mm -hmm. click. Um, but this is definitely going to be in a flyby category i'll also recommend the auto or not autobiography just the biography gold dust woman on stevie nicks it oh does yeah a good job of it's obviously stevie nicks centric but of the whole band's history yeah. as well yeah they cover a lot in it um and also before we start a little note about the flow of this episode as well the band has 
not a lot like we've covered before, but like quite a, f- I would say a few changes. Um, but there's really only one lineup when I think of Fleetwood Mac, and this is probably because I'm a little bit of a plebe when it comes to it. Um, there's really only one lineup I think of, and that's Mick Fleetwood, John McVie, Christine Mc- Christine McVie, Lindsey Buckingham, and Stevie Nicks. Yes. So that is where we're going to focus like a good chunk of our podcast energy um, and start talking about their upbringings briefly. So let's just hit the ground running. We're starting with Mick Fleetwood. Of course. And he was born Michael John Kells Fleetwood on June 24th, 1947 in Red Ruth, Cornwall. His dad was a poet and an amateur drummer. However, his main job was a member of the royal family. This meant that the Fleetwood family would spend their years in both Egypt and Norway. And Mick would learn how to speak fluent Norwegian. Um, When Mick was a young age, he... um, Oh, Mick from a young age is described as incredibly intelligent, but he wasn't the best academically. This is also a reminder that academics is not the only way to measure intelligence, in case you're wondering. (laughs) But anyway, so it sent him on a different path in life. He studied acting, performed some of it in drag. I mean, hey. um, And also learned to take up drums. Now... I'm honestly kind of shocked to his parents' response to this. And it's probably just a stereotype at my end because American television has taught me that being from a military family, they encourage them to, you know, be military. Um, but instead, they actually encouraged him to continue and play drums. This is like the first set of parents we've ever met that are like, you know what? Go do yeah, that do musical it. thing. Like I said, that would not be the plot in an American TV no. show. I'm telling you. Um, his older sister would go on to be an actress even. So she was encouraged in that direction. We stay in a family that fosters the arts. Agreed. So at age 15, he moved to London, England, looking to become a professional drummer. We're going to pause it there. Okay. Now we're going to set our gaze on bassist John McVie. John Graham McVie was born on November 26, 1945 in what is now West London, He first started playing the trumpet at age 14, but then moved to guitar. However, all his friends were learning lead guitar, so he decided to pick up the bass guitar instead. You know, that's Uh, that's a smart decision. You know, we can't all be lead guitarists. It's it's a it's an anti ego move. Yes, I appreciate an anti ego move. Not a move I would personally make (laughs) because I have to be the center of attention. But yes, I have to be too much. (laughs) I can't just be enough. I have to be too much. (laughs) Around his teenage years, he, as how the wiki text is coming across to me, is obsessed with a band called The Shadows, which was a backing group of another musician called Cliff Richards. And apparently they're like the fifth most successful group in the UK. I don't know if that's at I've the time. I've never heard of them, but okay. All time. Well, I didn't know Slate either. So that's why I'm like kind of giving it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. But his dad even got him a pink Fender bass guitar like his hero, Jet Harris from The Shadows. I'm going to just say I love pink Fender guitars. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's not too much more about his upbringing in music other than this last sentence from Wiki. Soon after leaving school at 17, McVie trained for nine months to be a tax inspector. This coincided with the start of his music career. 
I mean, you got to have a backup career. There you go. It offers no explanation other than that. It just kept going. Um, however, his first experience playing like-minded music with other musicians was performing covers of the shadows at weddings and parties. And I'm assuming bar mitzvahs. Probably. That's what American television has taught me. Um, Everything takes place exactly the way it does in America, right? That's exactly right. If you're going to be in a cover band, why are you not playing a bar mitzvah? Come on. Come on. All right. Christine McVie, which I keep writing Christina, and now I'm wondering if it's Christine. It's it's Christine, Christine, right? It's Christine. My brain likes to fuck with me, guys. Yeah, it's Christine. Okay. I was right. Anyway, let's move on to Christine McVie. She was born Christine Ann Perfect. On July 12th, 1943, in Lakeshire, England, her father was a concert violinist and college music professor. Her mother was a psychic slash medium slash healer, so a very well-rounded childhood. Yeah. Um, she played music, piano specifically, on and off again from age four, um, but she started taking it seriously around age 11. When she was getting ready to attend college, she really wanted to go like as an art teacher first, but then she didn't really have a lot of money to pursue that full time. So she moved to London and entered the working world, but she did in that time join a blues band and the blues band is named. Are they called bluesology? (laughs) No. Chicken shack. (laughs) What the fuck? Oh god, I love it. That's the best starter band name. Calling it now. We went Tomarello Electric Sheep. The bar has been raised, Christine McVee's I don't know. Chicken Shack. I think I like Electric Sheep better, but this is not This is a contender. They're tied. You know what we're gonna do? Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna make a graphic. Okay. And we're gonna put Chicken Shack versus Electric Sheep. We're gonna do a Twitter poll. You gotta make it a story graphic. Yeah. And then you get to vote. Which one's the best? So let us know. Yes. So be on the lookout for that. Now, we're going to pause her story. We're going to move on to Lindsay Buckingham. He was born Lindsay Adams Buckingham on October 3rd, 1949 in Palo Alto, California. Growing up, he developed interest in music, specifically guitar. He would play, ready for this? A Mickey Mouse guitar with his older brother's 45 records. When his parents noticed he had talent, they upgraded his guitar to a $35 Donald Duck guitar. (laughs) Hey, Donald Duck would take great pride in knowing he was the upgrade. Yeah, that's that's quite the move. Like, I respect the the $100 Mickey Mouse guitar. Yeah. With the entry level being Donald Duck, to be quite honest, then it would move up to Goofy. Yeah. Then it would move up to Pluto. Then it would move up to Minnie Mouse and then Mickey Mouse. But yeah. hey, um, as he entered high school, he was encouraged to pursue sports such as competitive swimming like his older brother. Fun fact, his older brother went on to compete in the 1968 Olympics. What? And won silver. <laughs> okay. That's yeah. cool. That's fun. But he was like, yeah, I'm going to stick with music. In, while in high school, he was a vocalist and bass guitarist for a band called the Fritz R- Rabin Memorial Band, which later got shortened to Fritz. It is in that decision. group he met a young Stevie Nicks. Ooh. So let's move on to Stevie. We have a whole episode on her. We do. By the way. 
We've already covered her last year, I think around the April episode. So I'm only going to give you a very brief glimpse of her upbringing. If you would like to learn more, I go way more into discussion on it in that episode. But Stephanie Lynn Nix was born on May 26, 1948 in Phoenix, Arizona. Her father worked in the food industry, so they moved quite a bit. Um, And I think that's how they eventually ended up in California to meet Lindsay. Um, Growing up, she was always in her own little fantasy world. I would read fantasy and magical stories, which would bleed into her songwriting later on. And she learned to sing while duetting with her grandpa at age four. This was the cutest thing. Yeah. And then picked up a guitar at age 16. So I've given you a sample of this band's origin story. So now let's unite the musical Avengers. <laughs> dun, dun. Uh, I can't remember how to understand where it goes right now. Uh, better we don't for copyright reasons. Dun, 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 dun. Um, the story picks up. In 1967, we are in London, England, where we left Fleetwood, uh, Mick Fleetwood. Now, Mick Fleetwood and John McVie met in a band called John Mile and John Mile and the Blues Breakers. I want to briefly talk about this band because they may, I guarantee you, are going to end up in later discussions and later episodes. Um, so, John Mile and the Blues Breakers were sort of this petri dish for some like petri dish for like some really big british artists that we know and love today and there's actually been quite a few that have circulated from this band so we have mick fleetwood john McVie, peter green who we are going to discuss him in a second eric clapton jack bruce from cream mick taylor who was formerly with rolling stones ainsley dunbar who was formerly with frank zappa davy graham and samuel lawrence taylor who was with can pete Jeez, and i think there's a quite a few more but maybe like more mid-level but john mile the leader of the blues breakers one day he decides to gift peter green some studio time in hindsight probably to his detriment because green gathers mick fleetwood and john mcvee and they record five songs one of them being named fleetwood mac Ooh, and you probably guess where fleetwood comes from Mick. Mick Fleetwood. But the Mac comes from John McVie because I think his nickname was Mac at the time. That makes sense. Yeah. I don't think I knew that. I could, I guess the Fleetwood part, but I never knew where they got the Mac part. Yeah, me neither. But that was the spark that started Fleetwood Mac. So Green, Fleetwood, go form a new band. However, McVie is hesitant mainly because his income comes from the Blues Breakers. Um, but Green said, hey, we'll name the band after you if you join. You son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> well, he said no. Aww. But then they took the band name anyway <laughs> and did it. But eventually, a few months later, he actually did join. Okay. So it works out. Now, I have titled this section Green Days. Ah! Yes, I think I'm hilarious. <laughs> because we're going to talk about Peter Green. Yes. Um. So I don't have a ton of time to cover him, but... He does have a huge influence, especially on the early years of Fleetwood Mac in the late 60s. I might save him for an episode later, so TBD if that happens. But there's quite a bit of drama before we get to the pinnacle lineup. So just buckle up here because the band releases their first album, self-titled, in 1968. 
It did well in the UK, reaching number four, and featured a song called Black Magic Woman, which would later become, in my, on, in my opinion, a bigger hit for Santana when he covered it in 1970. Yeah. Um, but this album, as well as the next three, were pretty much just straight blues albums. Like, very different than what you know. Uh-huh. I mean, it's Black Magic Woman. That song is, like, going to be played by Santana. I think he played it at Woodstock, but I'm not sure. But um, during the second album, Mr. Wonderful, which was also released in 1968, we see the introduction of Christine Perfect from Chicken Shack. Chicken Shack. Chicken Shack. I want a Chicken Shack shirt now. Uh, so bad. In my head, that just plays out like Love Shack, but it's Chicken Shack. Chick- 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 chicken, chicken Shack. shack. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, but this would be the same year Christine and John McVie tie the knot. Cute. Um, but I don't really think she's officially part of that band, but she does help out with the band from that point moving forward and just a bunch of uncredited roles or some credited roles. Um, in 1969, they released Fleetwood Mac in Chicago, which was a recording session in Chicago. Wow. Wow. (laughs) I never would have guessed. Um, after this album release, they the group starts shopping around to different labels because they're actually like starting to do pretty well. And they're also, they're going through a little bit of a transition musically because they can't really say they're a straight blues band and the label they're on at the time has blues artists and they're starting to like diversify their sound a little bit. I think at one point they get some like horned instrument player. I don't really remember if that's correct, but like they're diversifying. Yeah. So they move on to one called Immediate Records, but they weren't great. So George Harrison of the Beatles, who is also brother-in-law to Mick Fleetwood. What? So he suggested them to join Apple Records. And I'm glad that what came up because, of course, I got the tea for you. How that works is George Harrison and Mick Fleetwood, George was married to Patty Boyd who would later also go to marry Eric Clapton at a different point in her life. Okay. And then Mick was married to Jenny Boyd, the younger sister of Patty. Why is this not more common knowledge? I don't know. But both were models in Britain at the time. Also, the Muses did an interview with Jenny Boyd, which I listened to. Go check that out. It was actually very good. Um, Also, they have a really fun story about Jenny traveling with the Beatles to India and she got sick and John Lennon came to her and drew her a picture to make her feel better like she said they were really close she was really close with all the Beatles that's so sweet and they were all really good friends so, so it's sweet. a real sweet story okay so the band <laughs> released their third studio album 1969 called then play on um, which also f- features Christine in an uncredited role but lastly, we arrive at 1970, and we will call this section, remember when we told you don't do drugs? <laughs> don't do drugs. Here's why. Because in 1970, Peter Green, who I would argue is the band leader at that point, he's visiting a commune in Munich to talk about the possibility of a Bavarian Woodstock featuring Jimi Hendrix and the Rolling Stones. And the manager told green you know you probably shouldn't go mainly because 
commie might as well be another word for drugs in the 70s, but he went anyway. And when he arrived, like the punch was spiked with acid. <laughs> he took some LSD, but it was so impure. They had this one big bad trip. And that one big bad trip was the mark of an entire mental deterioration. Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. But the poor dude, like this is kind of like up for debate. And unfortunately, he passed this uh, last year. So it's hard to say. But like some theorize he became really dissociated with life because he got to a point where after that trip, he's like, I want to give all my money away to charity. Let's give all of our money away to charity. And the band's like, no, (laughs) we need that, sir. (laughs) Like we can give some of it away. Sure. But like all of it. No. And so in 1970, he quit the band. Um, But it's definitely a name you have heard in the music. You may have heard in the music world. He's definitely worth reading more about. There's been a movie or a documentary about him at some point. Very interesting dude for what he did. But now we're going to move on to the segment called BS, which is short for Before Stevie. Hey. (laughs) And like I said, we got to do a little bit of a flyby here. Um, Because I'm already on page six here and I actually got a lot of pages. But here's the quick highlights of this time. Christy McVie joins the band officially in 1970. They release five albums from 1970 to 1973. They're called Kiln House, followed by Future Games, followed by Bear Trees, followed by Penguin, followed by Mystery to Me. And these albums... They help them find some success in the U.S. I'm sorry, Slade. That's just how it works. They probably had better haircuts. Let's be real. (laughs) So there are two other members I have not mentioned up to this point. Their names are Jeremy Spencer and Danny Kerwin. Kerwan, I'm sorry. It's probably unfair that I haven't brought them up to the hardcore Fleetwood fans. It's also equally unfair. <laughs> the facts I'm about to bring up <laughs> at this Sorry, time. Fam. But I'm going to do it anyway. Because in 1971, while on tour, Jeremy Spencer told Fleetwood Mick that he was going to buy a magazine and he never came back. <laughs> Guess I'm sorry. What, guess what he did, Leah? I'm sorry. Guess what he did? What? Homeboy. So they search for him for days and then find out he went and joined a cult called Children of God. The fuck? Yes. Yes. And let me tell you, that's one hell of a wiki rabbit hole if I've ever been on one. Oh, I'm sure. Cults? Oh, man. The wiki writers love a cult. Oh, it's good. So let me tell This isn't in my notes, but I have to talk about it. (laughs) I have to to talk about it. So part of this religion during the 60s they had a policy in the church called flirty fishing i don't like it would you like to interpret what flirty fishing no i would not (laughs) (laughs) well i'll interpret it for you so they would go have sex with men and bring them to the church that's how they would get them into the church so they're sex sirens they're sex (laughs) sirens We laugh. It's probably it is a form of sex trafficking, so it is wrong. But I just love that they coined the phrase in the church flirty fishing. That is quite a cult. Damn. Anyway, 
Fascinating read. Go read about him. Um, and in 1972, Kerwan was fired from the group after smashing his custom Gibson guitar. Well, rightfully so. They should have fired him. Which we covered in the 1970s. Holy shit. What the fuck you doing? Why are you smashing guitars? This is a thing I'm glad we have grown yeah. out of as a society. <laughs> but he smashed it and he refused to go on stage. Um he also did a lot of the composing, so that's worth mentioning, like, for the band after Green left, especially on Bear Trees. Um, but you can go listen to that in your own time. Um, we're also seeing the emergence at this time of John and Christine's marriage coming undone due to seeing each other every day. And John had a drinking issue. That would do it. Yeah, that's enough to do it. Um, and they would just go through like a ton of member changes during this time, including a guitarist named Bob Weston. And he's only getting a mention because that son of a bitch had an affair with Mick Fleetwood's wife, Jenny, which devastated him and resulted in his ass getting fired. And rightly so. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Completely. Anyway. So shortly after this event, the band cancels the rest of the tour and they say, we're done. We're breaking up. That's enough. That's enough. Thank this you. This is the first time that will happen in a yeah. long history of that happening. That's exactly right. <laughs> and then their manager, who is pissed at this point, because, I mean, I see it from his perspective. They are, like, coming into the height of their fame in the U.S. That poor which, manager. <laughs> which is, like, I guess the golden ticket, if you will, of the music industry is what I'm learning. And the manager just says, you know what? Fuck you guys. I own the Fleetwood Mac name. Oh, and he goes and starts a band called the New Fleetwood Mac. What? And the band goes on tour. They somehow convince Mick Fleetwood to tour with them. I have no clue how the fuck they did that, but whatever. And But the fact that Mick Fleetwood was there, they think, oh, Fleetwood Mac's here. So the band tours, the audience loves them. And then the shows go on, the tours go on, and word gets out, this isn't the real Fleetwood Mac, it's a fake! It's a fake! And the whole audience hates them. Oh my! The rest of the tour, heckling them, throwing shit on stage. Like, it is insane. So, also during this time, somehow Mick and John McVie, they find out, hey, he actually may not own the name like he said, so they take his ass to court, take the manager to court, valid, sell it, settle it out of court somewhere in L.A. Um, so the band is enduring court in L.A., but then they realize, guys, I miss jamming together. Do you miss jamming together? So they get back together. Aww. So Fleetwood, Welch, and the McVees sign a new contract with Warner Bros. and decide to manage themselves. Mm. yeah in hindsight mm. not the best idea don't manage yourself yeah uh but they celebrate release a new album called heroes are hard to find and now it's 1974 and we arrive to the buckingham knicks time yes the era so now we can begin our episode so in 1974 welch is He's just kind of like, eh, I'm good, guys. It is now just Fleetwood and McVie. Luckily for them, since their legal troubles have brought them to L.A., 
While there, Mick decides, hey, I'm going to do some sightseeing and goes to Sound City Studios, operated by a really well-known manager at the time, Keith Olsen. I was reading up. I think he's done like Led Zeppelin, a bunch of the big name bands then. And he introduces them. I'm sorry. He introduces him to Buckingham Knicks. You will remember from our Stevie episode we discussed. Um, but I'll bring you back up to speed here because Buckingham Knicks was a duo consisting of Stevie Knicks and Lindsey Buckingham. They also produced an album together in 1973. They also, which will come up important later in the story, are an item. Yeah. Mick likes what he hears on guitar, meets with Lindsay, discusses with him joining the band as the guitarist of Fleetwood Mac, and he agrees under one condition. Stevie Nicks comes with him, which was one of their better decisions ever. One of his few good decisions. Yes. And he agrees. And now we have the musical Avengers assembled. So it's 1975 now. And the band releases another self-titled album. Why? Uh, To be fair, they did reinvent themselves. It's a new band. Completely different (laughs) than what they started. They should have called it the New Fleetwood Mac. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, names taken, (laughs) uh, according to court documents. But um, so they're not a blues band anymore. They're like a rock, folk, soft pop band. And the album, which was mainly written before Stevie and Lindsay entered the picture... It did include a few songs from Stevie and Lindsay. They're they were planning for their second album, such as Rhiannon. And when the album released, it actually just did okay. But then, but Fleetwood Mac, they're not fine with okay. So they worked extensively touring that damn album up in front of the United States. And it fucking worked because they got to number one in the U.S., which brought a lot of fame, which brought a lot of pressure. Which, which brought a lot of money. A lot of money, which brought a, a lot, lot of, of drugs, drugs. <laughs> and alcohol. And that brings me to my tweet that I need to share. Oh, God. <laughs> this is my favorite tweet of all time. I'm ready. Someone once asked, what if we locked people who hate each other in a room and only fed them <laughs> guitars, pianos, and cocaine? And Fleetwood Mac was like, first of all, fuck yes. <laughs> That's literally where I'm going with this story. <laughs> I'm not even getting you. Because drama has emerged before we get to that point as leah brought up let's talk about like personally where all these members are for a sec because mick and jenny are divorced or divorcing the mcvees are god forgive me for this joke mick dunn it's <laughs> <laughs> about as bad as the big mac joke i know and then buckingham and nicks who are already on the verge breaking up when they joined the van are like fighting on and off again there's also nowhere to put this fact in here but i'm just gonna put it out there so they do break up and mick and stevie become an item for a little bit for a hot second for a hot second just so you know um but that tension leads to one of the greatest albums of all time rumors rumors appropriately titled because even like after the band's self-titled album they're like kicking it 
like people are making up rumors about them left and right. Like they literally came out with a rumor that Christine McVie was on her deathbed after divorcing John. And this is around the time that the Stevie's a witch rumors. Yeah, that started. Well, it didn't help because Rihanna's about a witch, but that doesn't mean that she's a witch, folks. Well, I want her to be. Let's be honest. But she has said she's not. Go listen to the April episode. And like Stevie and Lindsay were hanging out with Mick Fleetwood's kid, probably taking out for some ice cream, right? And seen pictured with their his kid. And they're like, Stevie and Lindsay got full custody of Mick Fleetwood's Why child. Why the fuck would he have full custody of it his child? no fucking sense. But that's what they're going with. So anyway, appropriately titled. Tabloids are bad now, but they were really yeah. bad in the 70s and 80s. Oh my, it makes me think of the heart episode. Yeah, they were ruthless. Yeah, like now it's really just were. like, see these 16 celebrities without makeup. Yeah. The results may shock you. It's still bad, but it was not like, they were really going out of their yeah. way to make up shit. So I'm sure you know all the songs unfortunately i can't put too much energy into discussing them this time but go listen to them i will tell you right now all the songs are about a bandmate i guarantee you anyway but i really want to go into what was happening during the recording not good thing not good at all because after an extensive touring slash tension the band don't really want to hang out together but Mick Fleetwood forces them to be in the same room together, which they hate him for, and they hate each other. Whatever. Because all time, you he's know? still saying, get your ass in the studio. And so they do. So and they even try to like talk Mick into like, can we record it in our own homes? And he's like, No. No. This is for the better of the album. They wanted to work from home way before <laughs> the time's called for. <laughs> and so there's like a shit ton of fighting christine and john only talk about music when it's necessary and that's it steve and Lindsay are just constantly fighting except when it comes to music um and Lindsay and john are just butting heads about rhythm section which they've been doing since like pretty much early on since Lindsay joined the band yeah um and he doesn't really like the directions john doesn't like the directions the songs are being taken into and on top of this, there's just a fuck ton of cocaine. Like, there's probably not even a pun in what I just said. A fuck ton of cocaine. Like, Stevie wore a hole in her septum and her nose level of cocaine. Yes, correct. And their schedule for recording <laughs> included starting cocaine at 7 p.m., partying till 1 or 2, eating food, and then eventually they'd get to recording. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Um... The album, I'm pretty sure it was supposed to be released in 1976, but it was delayed to February of 1977 because of too much damn cocaine. I believe it. Yeah. And in the midst of this chaos is Mick Fleetwood holding them together somehow. The the unsung hero of this band. Yes. And then after the album was mixed, the band came together and they realized, shit, we just made something really big. And they did. Because Rumors is like a juggernaut. Juggernaut, I should say, of an album uh, when it was released in 1977. And let me just rattle off a few achievements of it. It sold 10 million copies after a month 
a month of its release. It received diamond certification in some countries, which is the highest ranking of certifications, Mm -hmm. where in the States it went 20 times platinum. That's a lot of times. Yeah. It won album of the year by the Grammys. It was included in the Library of Congress's like significant achievements that we've talked to talked about. And it is number seven on Rolling Stone's 500 greatest albums of all time. And it's amazing how all that fighting and writing songs about each other led to one of the greatest albums of all time. So one quick note I want to cover as well is the album artwork. Yes, I was hoping you'd talk about this. Which is, I think, as iconic as the songs themselves. And my first memory of the art, I was at a Chili's. Welcome to Chili's. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Chili's. Um, where they had different vinyl album covers. That's, what kind of Chili's were you going to? I don't know. It was in New Jersey. And I was eating chili fries with my aunt. And that's why I remember. I remember me and her discussing that album artwork. Aww. And how she said that was one of the best albums ever written of all time. Despite Stevie being a witch. <laughs> anyway. So... Stevie on that album artwork, not a single complaint, absolutely flawless in every single way, just breathtaking. Mick, on the other hand, and this is not a complaint at all, just an observation, but something I have always wondered and it's always bothered me and it took me to do this research to figure out, but the balls, why? (laughs) Why? So I looked it up, of course, and Rolling Stone didn't disappoint and here's what Mick said regarding the balls they're wooden by the way he said I must admit quote I must admit I had a couple of glasses of English ale and came out of the toilet with these (laughs) I was very destructive I ripped them off the toilet and had them hanging down between my legs so I guess why were there balls in the toilet I don't know I don't know if this is a UK thing. Not a damn clue. I've only been to the UK once, been to London once, and it was for three days. I could not tell you. But the reason that like happened in the earlier days when he was in the blues scene and when he would go to play early on in Fleetwood Mac with like Peter Green and all them, he would wear them in that same crotch vicinity. So it's what it is. It's a nod to his mu- musical lineage and of those beginnings, those humble beginnings. What it is, is boys are the same throughout all of history. Oh, just wait. Oh, no. <laughs> because of a completely unrelated segment. <laughs> you knew I had to put this in because I cracked up at lunch when I was researching this. So not only in the early days would he perform with these wooden balls. <laughs> But there was a dildo that would sit on top of his drum set. And its name was Harold. Why did they name it? What the fuck? So I guess Harold became a mascot of the Blues Fleetwood where fans would look forward to seeing Harold on top of the drum set. I just picture him with a little hat. I don't know why, but I picture him wearing a little hat. <laughs> with like a little fake a little, mustache. A little, uh, little boulder hat. A little, little English. A little bowler and a little yeah. fake mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Wait until graphics this week, folks. <laughs> we got a treat for you. Um, and then also, according to Rolling Stones, quote, 
Harold's showbiz life came to a crashing end at an American Southern Baptist college <laughs> where we were nearly arrested for his performance. <laughs> ah, that's amazing. I, I love I love British people so much. They, they got the best humor, man. Uh, but overall, like I said, it was about his lineage. And then when we zoom out and we talk about the cover art itself, um, I forget the guy's last name, but his first name's Herbert. From my understanding from the articles I was reading, it was meant to inspire the feeling that you're almost looking into like a crystal ball to get a glimpse of this mystical, emotionally tense, complex world of this band. Okay. And it foreshadows the Mick and Stevie item. I think they may have been together when they shot that. Because none of the other bands fucking get in together, let me tell you. Nick and probably Stevie were the only ones who were okay with each other. Probably. Um, anyway. So, why do we love this band so? Well, the lineup lasted for quite a bit of time be- uh, before the Nick's Buckingham lineup. And in case you weren't counting at home, the band released 11 albums prior to rumors that's pretty insane a lot of albums considering the way we usually cover it i feel like the first second and maybe the third album are usually their warm-ups and then around the fourth album i feel like historically that's what we've seen but 11 that's just crazy and i think rumors is that perfect pop rock album because of all that fighting but it's also bluntly honest in their songs and it helped curate some of the most well-crafted songs of all time, that authenticity. So what happens after Rumors? They release a few more albums. Tusk was, uh, I think, like two years after Rumors. It's very experimental from what I've heard. But eventually, almost all the members would go on to do solo projects at some point. And as they press in the 80s and 90s, different members would leave at some point and then come back, leave, Come back, Reunions. break up, reunion, <laughs> someone get fired, break up. So really, like I said, there's 50 years of history. We can't really go more into it because we're just going to get hearing of they broke up, then they got back together, yeah. they broke up. So it's just repeating a, a record here. But in 1998, to give you some highlights of their legacy, the band was inducted into the Hall of Fame, including the founding members, Peter Green, Jeremy Aww. Spencer and Darian Kerwan. Good for Jeremy them. Spencer was not available because he was in a cult. Um, so still. he still is in the cult, by the way. He's still in the fucking cult all these years later. I mean, that's a long lasting cult. That that I will say but, that's some sustainability for a cult. But but yeah, he's still st- a cult. Still a cult. Are they still flirty fishing? No, they had a revelation that they should stop that in the 80s. That's probably a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) It was in their updated Bible. Um, But their last album was Say You Will in 2003. And they've since toured the globe doing doing what they do best, vibing. All about the vibes. Yeah. And there's really, there would be nothing left to say at this point until TikTok came around. Oh, yeah. Because in uh, 2020, I'm sure many of you have seen this. There's a video of a man skateboarding, drinking some ocean spray cranberry juice. And he's just vibing to the song Dreams, singing along with it. And it gets released on TikTok. It goes viral. And it resulted in Dreams going back on the Billboard 200 (laughs) 
and received 30.6 million streams in October 2020. We were all vibing in October. Yeah, we had nothing else to do. And <laughs> let's be honest, most of the streams probably came from Leah and I. But since then, Mick Fleetwood got in on the trend and made his own video, which was the cutest thing. Uh, Stevie made one too. Stevie made one too. And then a bunch of like Stevie Nicks TikToks came out of it of people like asking why Stevie hadn't invited them to vibe in the forest with their coven. <laughs> There's some better people about that. I think it shows though how timeless their music is. And timelessness is so hard to achieve. But even if that didn't happen, Fleetwood Mac would still be one of the best-selling artists mm-hmm. of all time. Mm-hmm. That's my outline. We are drinking. Um, what are we drinking? We're drinking wine. Some wine. We, I brought a bottle of, you know, classy Aldi winking owl, mm-hmm. two-dollar white Zinfandel over, and it's actually really fucking delicious. It's very good. It, it was a wine day for sure. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts. We will read it on the air as long as it's nice. A uh, special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. Be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at She Will Rock You Podcast. You can join our Facebook group. It's She Will Rock You Podcast Fam. Got some things coming in there this week that I need to post. Uh, you can also follow us personally at Beth Ann Tarpley and at LeahElizabeth.J. Send us an email, drop us a comment, let us know what you thought of this episode at SheWillRockYouPodcast at gmail.com. And uh, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. <laughs> <laughs>